Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Father, we thank you uh, that we have uh, the incredible responsibility, privilege, uh, opportunity uh, to bear your image on the earth. And Father, we understand uh, uh, from Genesis chapter 3 that that image has been cracked. It's been broken uh, by sin. Um, But God, we know that it still remains. And, And we pray, Father, that... In every way, in, including marriage and family, uh, the way that we live our lives as male and female, uh, that we might reflect uh, the image of God, the likeness of God in us, and that we might give glory to your name. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us today uh, about what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, uh, what it means to have a family, uh, what it means to be a man or a woman. Father, teach us uh, that we might live in ways that honor you. We ask it and we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we uh, we talked about some of the biggest questions in life. Uh, Last week we tried to answer a couple of different questions. Number one, who am I? And number two, what am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? And and in answering those questions, we we looked at Genesis chapter 1 where we saw that that God stops on the sixth day and and speaks in the the triune Godhead and the Trinity and says, Hey, let us create man in in our image, in our likeness. Let us create him. And so so man is is created with, with the special purpose of being in the image of God being in the likeness of God, to image His glory in a unique way uh, on the earth, okay? Uh, All through Genesis uh, chapter 1, we saw this refrain over and over again after God created the the sky and after He created the stars and after He created the animals and the the sea life and the vegetation. After every one of those days, there's there's something that God says. He says, it is good, okay? And and we would expect for God to say that uh, because, you know, creation reflects the Creator and God is good. God is awesome. And so, so after he creates all these elements of creation. He says it's good. Uh, on the sixth day, after he finishes that, after he finishes man made in the image of God, he says this is very good, okay? And then all of a sudden in chapter two, we have the very first time where God says something is not good. The fall hasn't even happened yet. The fall is not till, till Genesis chapter three, so the, the, there's not sin uh, in humanity on the earth yet. But yet in Genesis chapter two, God says there's something that's not good, okay? Uh, and the something that's not good is that man is alone. 
And God says it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, now, please don't think that God messed up, okay? This is not an afterthought. We know that God never messes up. So it's not that God created man and he thinks everything's good and then all of a sudden he's got a glitch, you know? Uh, the hard drive locks up on him or, you know, he says, you know, this, this whole three-eye thing, it's not good. Let's change it. Let's make two-eye. You know, it wasn't that God had made man and decided that, that you know, he, he didn't do a good job or, he, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But rather what God is saying is this is not complete, okay? It's not finished yet. Man is not finished yet. It's not good for him to stay in this condition, which is alone, but in order to image God, to be the likeness of God on the earth, in order to reflect the triune God, there needs to be something else that happens, okay? And so that's what God is saying. He's saying, look, man is alone. That is not good as far as his purpose of of being my image and my likeness on the earth. And and so we need to fix that, okay? You know, it's interesting that that he says it's not good for for the man to be alone because it, it just depends on how you define alone. Okay, he's got all the animals, right? That's true, right? And animals can be companions, dogs, cats, horses. They can serve as a, as a type of companion. Some people really um, feel that very strongly, you know, and, and, and get a lot of, um, a lot of companionship need uh, met by a dog or a cat or a pet or a horse or something like that. Um, but, but that's not what God's talking about. The, the animals can't fit the need that God is describing in Adam's life and the purpose for which he's created. Uh, Adam has fellowship with God. Uh, he's not alone in the sense that, that God is with him. God, God walks with him. God has fellowship with God, with, with Adam. God, God speaks to Adam. We saw that in, in verse 15 and 16 and 17 where God uh, speaks to Adam, where God gives him a task. He puts him in the garden. So, so Adam has this fellowship with God. But what the Bible is saying is, is that there are things in Adam and there are things in Adam's mission that he cannot do without other people. Okay? And so he says it's not good for us to be alone. And and I know that he's describing the situation of the garden, but I want to take that even further and and just say, I believe the Bible echoes that refrain all through the Bible that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man not to be in Christ-centered relationships. Now, there's a lot of people who would disagree with that, okay? There's a lot of people who say by the way that they live their life, it is good to be alone. Isn't Isn't there people that say that? Uh, and they say that because, you know what, relationships are hard, okay? In some ways, it's easier to live your life alone, isn't it? Uh, marriage is hard. Friendships are hard. People are needy. They demand things of you. They take things from you. Uh, people are complicated, okay? Especially in the marriage relationship when you're dealing with males trying to understand females and females trying to understand men. I, you know, uh, I, I, that, that's hard. It's complicated. It's difficult. Uh, people are mixed up because of the fall. Genesis chapter 3, you have confused people. You have scarred people. You have damaged people. You can't trust people. You can't depend on people. People will hurt you. They'll neglect you. They'll let you down. And so a lot of people, by the way they live, say, look, you know what? It is good to be alone. Now, obviously, that it doesn't work like alone in the sense that Adam was alone. There's, there's 6,872,400,000 estimated people on the planet. So it's kind of hard to actually be alone in the sense of there's nobody else around. But you know what? You can, you can be alone in other ways, can't you? You can keep people at a distance. Anybody got that habit? You know? You, you have people in your life, but really you don't have people in your life, Okay? You, you, you know people, you say hi to people, you converse with people, you, you hold people at a superficial level, but really you don't let anybody into your life. They don't know what's going on in your life. They don't, they don't know who you are. They don't know what's happened to you. They don't know what you're about. You keep it superficial. It's easier that way. It's less trouble that way. There's less mess that way. 
You know those people that, you know, small groups is a really challenging thing for you because you just don't see the need. And by not seeing the need, basically what you're saying is, I want to live alone. I, I don't want to have those kind of relationships. I don't want to have those kind of ties. I don't want people in my life. I would rather control my life and live just, just isolated from people. And in that way, what you're saying is it's good to be alone. Well, here's what God says. Okay, listen to this. It's not good for the man to be alone. In order for Adam to live out his mission, remember what are we all about last week? You know, who are you and what's your life about? Why are you here, okay? You're here to to image and bear the likeness of God. And in order for Adam to do that, Genesis chapter 2 is very clear. Adam Adam needs fellowship with an equal, okay? He, He needs to be in a harmonious friendship with a helpmate. He needs to be in a mutual giving and submissive Uh, authority, supportive relationship with somebody else, with other people. And so God says about that process. I like how God does this. I mean, uh, this this is really, I think, a a great way. Uh, Again, God wouldn't have had to do it this way. All this stuff, I think, means something. But but you see what God does first? He prays all the animals in front of Adam. You know, verse 19, uh, he says, So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. All right? So so Adam has got this first job of naming all the animals. You know, I never thought about that being a big job before until we were at the Creation Museum in, uh, in May. And uh, we were going through there, and I think it was Randall Gabriel, we were talking, and Randall said, man, have you ever thought about what a task that would be? I mean, to name all the, I mean, it's hard for me to, to, to remember all five of my kids' names. You know, I still get them mixed up. Can you imagine naming all that? I mean, you don't, in this room, you don't probably know everybody's name. You know, I mean, that, this, this is a hard thing. Adam names all the animals. Wow. You know what I mean? Here's the first scientist, okay? Uh, Adam's, Adam's seen the animal. God prays him in front of him. He examines him. He looks at him. He, he, he you know, sees the characteristics, you know, maybe. He's got a journal notebook. I don't know what it is, but he, he names the animal, okay? He does a, kind of a scientific little exercise here. He names all the animals. And in verse 20, it's very clear, there's not a helper found for him. None of these creatures can take the place the, in Adam's life that he desperately needs. God wants him to see he needs people. He needs to be in a relationship. Adam has certain relational needs that God has wired into him that can only be met by other people being in his life. If that's true of Adam, the perfect man, that's got to be true of you, okay? See, I don't want you to leave here today saying, oh yeah, yeah, that was true of Adam, it's not true of me, I don't need anybody. By saying I don't need anybody, you are disagreeing with God. You have certain relational needs in your life that only people can meet, and God has wired it that way. But not only that, but God has wired you in such a way that in order for you to live your life as God has created you to live it, you have to have people in your life. You have to have Christ-centered relationships in your life, okay? You need someone to minister to. You need someone to serve. You need someone to understand. You need someone to care for. You need someone to sacrifice for. You need someone to give yourself to. You need someone to forgive. You need someone with whom you can exert your energy and your creativity to protect and provide and encourage and comfort. You need that in your life. Uh, you, You can't be like God if you don't have that in your life. Okay, remember, what is our job? What's our purpose in life? We're, we are image bearers of God. We're creating the likeness of God, okay? But how are you going to be like God if you don't have people, relationships in your life? How are you going to be like God if you're not forgiving people? How are you going to be like God if you're, if you're not giving yourself to people? How are you going to be like God if you're not sacrificing for, of yourself for others? How are you going to be like God if, if, if you're not comforting or encouraging or showing grace? You can't. Those are all characteristics of God that you are uniquely created to image. And you can't do that without people in your life. 
That's why we have the church. But more importantly, today, that's why we have marriage. So what does God do? God makes woman. Puts man in a deep sleep. Uh, In case you're wondering why men sleep so deeply and why they're unable to get up with infants, this is why. Okay, there's a theological reason why is that God has made us to sleep very deeply. Uh, Women try to to you know fight against this and wake the man up. He's not able. You saw. I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago when Haven was little. uh, Emma tried this. You wake me up and I end up harming myself. I heard that that play to my eye when I passed out because we're we're not meant to be up. Not God put us in a deep sleep. uh, So. There's the deep sleep that happens. Just want to throw that in. My wife, she she actually got up right at the opportune time and then left just for that, you know. Uh, Anyway. Puts her in deep sleep, uh, takes the rib, forms forms, uh, the woman from the man, and then presents her to the man. Man, can you imagine what a great moment that was? I mean, this guy's been looking at anteaters and pigs and dinosaurs and elephants and pheasants all day. And then, then God brings him Eve, okay? Can you imagine that? Genetically perfect, physically flawless, intelligent, great sense of humor. You notice what Adam does? Man, he sings, he soars, he writes a poem. I don't know, I'm not sure what this is in, in verse 23. I've heard it's a song, it's a poem, it's something. But, but Adam speaks, okay? And, and we know he had spoken before this because he named all the animals and he, he had conversations with God. But this, these are the first recorded words of mankind, okay? Are, are you seeing that? These are the first recorded words that we know that a man ever spoke uh, in the existence of, of all humanity. And what it is, is Adam exalting over his wife, Okay? A husband's joyful celebration of his wife. Folks, what Genesis 2 is teaching us is that male and female, being created male and female, is crucial in who we are as God's image bearers. God could have done it any other way. We wouldn't have to be male and female. You know, God could have populated the, wor- the world, the earth, in, in another way, couldn't he? There, there, are, there are species of, of animal and instinct, that, or insect, instinct, insect that, uh, uh, that populate without male and female. You know, they're, they're, I think it's called asexual, is that right? Something like that. Some, some science person here, it's called something. Anyway, God, God could have done that, is, is my point. Uh, but he chose not to do that, and he chose to make us male and female for the specific purpose that we need to be that in order to image the triune God on the earth, okay? And so what I want us to do is, is look at, just here for a few minutes, what is it about male and female that reflects the glory and the attributes of the Trinity, okay? Uh, for us to rightly image the triune God, we, we need to have a couple things, okay? I, I think this is, this is the purpose of male and female, the purpose of marriage, this is the purpose of, of relationships. Uh, first of all, in order to image the triune God, we need to have mutually upbuilding, harmonious relationships with an equal, okay? That's what we have with Adam and Eve. Uh, we need to have relationships of equality, yet with distinct roles that work themselves out in submission and authority, okay? All of those things that I just mentioned are characteristics of the Trinity, okay? Uh, I mean, when you think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, living in, in, in this harmonious spiritual friendship uh, for, for all eternity past and all eternity in the future, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? No competition, no rivalry, no jealousy, mutual upbuilding, uh, giving glory to one another, eternal commitment. I mean, how, how are we going to image that, okay? How, how are we going to bear that likeness on the earth? And one of the ways is marriage. 
Marriage is one of the ways that we're, we're going to do that. Now be careful. Marriage is not Trinity. Okay? We don't want to carry this in a way that we shouldn't carry this. Marriage is not Trinity. Uh, marriage is, is a picture. Okay? It, it's an imaging of God. God says, you need to have these characteristics in your life. You, you need to be male and female and, and come together in this covenant relationship to, to image and, and to bear my likeness. Okay? But, but it's not Trinity. Okay? Uh, it, it's a shadow. It's a picture. Okay, just like Jesus says that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. You know, we'll look at that here in just a minute. But Ephesians 5 says that marriage is a picture of Jesus' love for the church, Jesus' relationship with the church. Well, obviously, marriage is not Jesus' relationship with the church. I mean, there are things about it that don't look like it, and, and, and it's not a perfect picture. But it is a picture. It is a shadow. In the same way, male and female, the coming together in marriage is a, is a picture. It's, it's an image of, of the triune God because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. So let, let's look at a couple of those things. First of all, uh, members of the Trinity are equal in power and glory, yet they have distinct roles in which they submit and honor each other. Okay? You'll notice God sets up marriage to be the same way. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfectly equal in power and glory, yet distinct roles. There are things that the Father does that the Son doesn't do and the, and the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Things that the Son does that the Father doesn't do, the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Things that the Holy Spirit does that the Father doesn't do and the Son doesn't do. Okay? The Father has a distinct role of authority that the Son and the Spirit do not have. Even though they're, they're equal in power and glory, the Father obviously has a role of authority. Okay? And the Son has a role of submission. We see that all through the Incarnation, all through Jesus' life. Jesus comes in, in human form okay? and, and, and lives a perfect life as a man and dies on the cross. God the Father does not do that and God the Holy Spirit does not do that. The Spirit of God indwells every born-again believer and empowers us to become like Jesus. God the Father doesn't indwell, uh, no, nor does God the Son. I mean, there are things about the Trinity that there are distinct roles. They're one God. They're one God. And I, don't, I don't want to diminish that. One God, but yet they have distinct distinct roles in which they support and encourage and mutually upbuild one another. And the same is true in marriage. God creates us male and female. He brings man and woman together in this mutual relationship. And, and, and in that relationship, there are distinct roles. Okay. Now, we see that in several ways. First of all, we see that in Adam being created first. Now, again... God could have created him however he wanted. It's, it's not an afterthought. He didn't create Adam and say, wow, I made a mistake here. We need, to, we need to fix this. No, God had a plan in how he created, why he created. And one of the reasons that he created Adam first was to show that there's a distinct role that Adam is to play in this relationship. Okay. Now, how I know that for sure is because 1 Timothy tells us that. The New Testament looks back at creation and describes that. In 1 Timothy 2, it's talking about the church and how there's distinct roles in, in a marriage and in the church. And in verse uh, 12, for instance, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then in verse 13, it says, For, this is the reason, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And so the New Testament affirms that there's a reason why God created Adam first. And the reason is, is because Adam is to hold a, a role of responsibility in the marriage. Okay. Not only that, but as Adam is being, as, as Eve is being created, God says, look, Adam, I need to give you a helper fit for you. And verse 18 says, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay. Now. What I want to make sure you understand is that the word helper does not in any way um, infer inferiority or that Eve's not as good, not as capable, not as smart, not as uh, gifted as Adam. Uh, none of that. Rather, helper uh, describes a, a position where they're not responsible. 
Okay? Where the responsibility is somewhere else and they're helping someone else to, to fulfill their responsibility. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 33, this is a great verse about God. And it describes Him as our helper. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 26 says, um, There is none like, like God, O Jerusalem, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. Psalm 118.7, listen to what it says. It says, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And so there's several times in the Bible where it describes God as our helper. Okay, Now, obviously, God is not less than us. God is infinitely above us, but yet He is our helper. Okay, So helper does not describe a position of inferiority. Helper simply describes that you're, you're, you're not the ultimate responsibility. Let me give you an example, uh, two examples, okay? Uh, this week, I helped Avery with her spelling words, didn't I, Avery? Didn't we help the, with spelling words? And then we read your little uh, book, you know, that you're supposed to read, and I helped you with that. And so I helped Avery with her homework, okay? So me being the helper, does that imply that Avery knows more about spelling and reading than I do? Not yet. Someday, probably, but not yet. I am right now a better speller than Avery, and I'm a better reader than Avery. Yet, I was her helper, now, why was I her helper if I'm better at it? Because it's her responsibility. Does that make sense? If she doesn't get it done, that's, no, that's nothing to me. You know, I don't get an F. You know, I don't get a zero. Miss Waddell doesn't crack the whip on me. You know, she does on Avery because Avery was responsible. Okay? Let me tell you another situation. A few weeks ago, or maybe a few months ago now, uh, I helped uh, David Bates and uh, J.P. Shirky and uh, Jeff Squibb. Uh, put in a floor. I didn't do much, but I was a helper, okay? I was a helper putting in a floor in a trailer, okay? Now, in that case, those guys definitely knew more about it than I did, okay? I was the helper because they, they, they knew more than, than I did, but, but really, the reason why I was the helper is because I was not ultimately responsible for the project. Does that make sense? These guys were responsible, there was, there was somebody there and we said, okay, you're going to do this thing and you're going to make sure it gets done. You're going to make sure it gets done right. I was a helper because I came alongside and put a nail where they told me to put a nail. And, and, and I helped them in the job that they were responsible for. So, so two different times I'm a helper. One, I, 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 my skill is, is above. The other, my skill is beneath. But either one, that's not why I was a helper. The, the reason why I was a helper is because I was not ultimately responsible for it, okay? In the same way, in the same way, a husband is responsible for his family. He's responsible for his wife. And that's why Eve is a helper, a helper fit for him. He, he needs her to enable him to carry out the responsibility that God has given him. She may be above him in skill. She may be above him in intelligence. She may be above him in ability. That, that really doesn't matter. That's not the issue. The issue is Adam's been given a job and he can't do this thing by himself. He needs someone to come alongside and to help. But Eve is the helper because Adam is ultimately responsible. We'll look at this next week, but, but in the fall, we see a picture of this, okay? Adam's responsible for his family. And so Satan, who, who is seeking to destroy this whole thing, who does he go to tempt? He doesn't go tempt the guy that's responsible. You know what he does? He goes around Adam to Eve, okay? Interestingly, Adam and Eve fall, okay? They take the bait. Eve takes the fruit, she eats of it, she gives it to her husband, he eats of it. Who does God come after, after they've sinned? Adam. Now why? Do we believe that, that God was in the dark 
Hey, 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 what happened? Man, I, I turned my back and, and what did you guys do? Who, Adam, you know, no, he knew exactly what happened, but he goes to Adam first. Why does he go to Adam first? Because Adam's responsible. He's responsible for his family. He confronts Adam first. And in the rest of the Bible, here's, here's something neat. In the rest of the Bible, whose sin is it? It's Adam's. It's the sin of Adam. We all fell in the sin of Adam. Why? Eve took the fruit first. Eve ate of it first. She was the first sinner, right? I mean, according to who ate the fruit first. But in all the rest of the Bible, it's the sin of Adam. Why? Because Adam is responsible. I don't believe that Satan went after Eve because she was an easier target. I don't think he, she, he went after her because she wasn't as smart as Adam or whatever. I, I, think, I think he went after her because he's striking out at God's order. You guys ever have that in, in your jobs? We got some teachers in here. You, you ever you ever have someone go around the chain of authority? You know, go around you. That bothers you, doesn't it? We got we have people in business here. You know, and there's there's a chain of authority. There's people that are responsible. And whenever someone goes around that or under that or beneath that, that that causes all kinds of problems, doesn't it? Satan is doing exactly that in the fall. So so there are distinct roles in the in the created order. And, and, and because of that, God, God has given responsibility to the man, or, or that, that's a result of that. It's not a value issue, it's not a skill issue, it's not an ability issue, it's a responsibility issue. Now now let me stop here and make a point of application. Young women, okay, young ladies who are getting ready someday to marry, do not, please, do not marry a guy that you don't respect and that you don't want to be a leader in your home. You know, a lot, a lot of times a lady will think, man, this guy is funny and he's cute and he's, he's just, you know, he's a, he makes me feel good and everything. And, well, is he a good leader? No. You know, uh, do, do you want him leading your family? No, not really. You know, in fact, I've always got to get him out of trouble. You know, he needs me to take care. A lot of ladies will adopt a project, you know. You know they'll adopt this guy. You know, man, this guy, if I don't, if I don't adopt him, he, he's not going to make it. He's going to be playing Nintendo for the rest of his life, you know, if I don't get him and straighten him out. Listen, ladies, don't do that. Okay, don't marry a guy that, that's not a good leader, that you don't trust, that you don't want him taking care of the decisions of, of your family. You don't want him leading your family because you're going to end up for the rest of your life either being frustrated and bitter about his leadership or domineering and manipulating him and keeping him from being the guy that God wants him to be. That's not, it's not a bad thing to say, you know what, I, I don't think this guy's a good leader. He, he's, he's not the guy I want to marry. There's nothing wrong with that. And listen, one step further, if you can't follow any guy, you know, if you just say, look, I don't want any guy leading my life. I don't want any guy leading my family. You probably, it's probably just not time for you to get married. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just the truth. It's maybe time for you to work on your relationship with Christ. Maybe stay single. Maybe God has a different plan for you. Gentlemen, on the same, on the same, same token, if you don't want to lead, listen, if, if you're the guy that says, I don't want to be responsible for anybody, and, and I don't want to nurture, and I don't want to take care of a family, and I, I don't want the buck stopping with me, and I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to have to provide and protect, and you know, I, I, I don't want to do any of that. Then don't get married. <laughs> don't, or, or, or it's, you're get with another guy in the church who's going to mentor you and encourage you, and, and and get you to where you need to be spiritually, but you're not ready to be married. Because in in the marriage relationship, for us us to come together as male and female, and the image, the glory of Jesus, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Holy Spirit. We need these distinct roles living together in covenant commitment. Look, look what happens next. Okay, we've got to go quickly here. 
Verse 24, uh, here's the covenant that's going to bind the man and woman. So you've got male and female, but you don't have marriage yet. Uh, what we need is marriage. We need them to come together as one. Right now we have two distinct people. We have a man, we have a woman, we have Adam, and we have Eve, but we don't have one. Okay, in, in the Trinity, in the Godhead, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but yet they are one. Okay, so we need some way for oneness to happen here. And so what is that way? That way is marriage. Look in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Okay, there's got to be a leaving. Okay, part of that is making your own household, getting a job, providing for, protecting your own family. But a big part of it is simply the mother-father relationship. That's no longer the primary relationship in your life. Your buddies, no longer the primary relationship in your life. Your brothers, no longer the primary relationship in your life. You leave that. You leave those. Those are no longer the priority. And you cleave toward the means to glue or to cement together. You cleave, you, you... you submit together with your wife. She is the priority of your life, second only to God. And you cleave together to share one life. You cleave together to become one flesh. The sexual union is a picture of this, another picture. There's all these pictures. It's a picture of, uh, of oneness, okay? But, but there's a supernatural element to this as well. It's not just a sexual union because in, in Matthew chapter 19, here's what Jesus says as, as, as the Pharisees are talking to him about divorce. He says in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Okay? And he said, therefore, this is the reason a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. God sees them as one. God does something supernatural. The next verse says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God has joined together. God does something supernatural. To join the husband and wife together, it's a picture, okay, of oneness. And there we have marriage. Quickly notice, marriage by definition, one man, one woman for life, okay? Uh, Adam, Adam did not pair up with Steve. He paired up with Eve. Adam did not pair up with uh, uh, Evelyn and um, uh, Emily and, you know, four other gals. He, he, he's with Eve, okay? One man, one woman for life. Look at the result. Verse 25. And the man and, the, and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay? Interesting. We're going to come to next week. Uh, after the fall, after Genesis chapter 3, after they, they take of the fruit, they are ashamed all of a sudden. Okay? No, no, no. We'll look more of that next week, but let's just think about that. What does it mean that they're not ashamed now? What it means that they're not ashamed now is that they have this covenantal love relationship in, in, in which they are completely accepted by the other. Okay? Think about reasons why we're ashamed. We're ashamed because we feel badly about ourselves, right? That's what shame is. We feel badly about our abilities, our personality, what we've done, things about ourselves. We try to hide that. When we can't hide that, we feel ashamed, okay? But Adam and Eve were not ashamed. And it wasn't just because they're, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, they're perfect. You know, obviously they're naked and not ashamed because, you know, Adam's this buff guy with these rippling muscles. And Eve is, you know, the the perfect, you know, genetic specimen of of, of that. You know, I don't believe that because after Genesis chapter 3, after this one sin... All of a sudden, they're ashamed. We assume they still look the same physically, okay? I mean, they would begin to die, but man, it's been, it's been three minutes, okay? And all of a sudden, they're... So it's, it's, not, it's not their physical appearance, okay? It's something about the relationship all of a sudden. Because all of a sudden, when you add sinners into the, into the equation, oh man, you got something different, don't you? Because sinful people, what, what, what about them? They don't always put people first, Right? In fact, 
Sinners exalt themselves and put other people down. Isn't that right? Sinners compare and they manipulate and they ridicule and they point out faults and they leverage what they believe to be their assets and and your deficiencies and they hold a grudge and they use your past mistakes as ammunition for future conflicts and they're unaccepting and if you don't measure up to their standard or if you don't give to them in in the way that they think you ought to give to them, then they withhold their love and they pout and they throw a fit and they attack and all of that creates what? Shame. Okay? Shame. So, so he, he, the, the, the shame there. And even if, even if they had had a perfect spouse, sin brings shame into our hearts. Most men will know this is true. Even, even if I did everything right in my marriage. I mean, I give the right gifts. I say the right things. I shower my wife with praise. Uh, I'm always loving. To, even if I did that, that would not necessarily mean that things with him and I would be absolutely right. Okay? True? Um, Even if I did everything right toward my wife, it would not necessarily mean that she would feel pretty, that she would feel loved, that she would feel accepted. You know why? Because we have shame even apart from others, don't we? You know why? Because we're sinners. With sin comes guilt about our past and guilt about our failures and guilt about our appearance and guilt about our, our, our abilities and insecurities abound. And we have the devil who constantly accuses and we have the world who judges us and we have sinful self who's comparing to other people. And all of that stuff produces shame. Okay, but you remember last week, creating the image of God, that image has been broken, okay? But what happens? In Christ, it's coming back together. Right? In Christ, it's coming back together. The mirror. Remember, we use the illustration of a mirror, a cracked mirror that you can still see yourself, but you can't see yourself clearly, okay? It's coming back together, and it's coming back together in union with Christ. When we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, what happens? He takes away our shame, right? Because our sins are put on the cross. And he begins to, 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 to make us new, and he begins to enable us to love a spouse, to love one another. In Christ-like ways. To be sacrificial and forgiving and, and understanding and all the things that we were meant to be. And, and so, so in Christ, this image and marriage is coming back together. So that Paul says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as, as your own bodies. In Christ, that image is coming back together.